Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That. We're back in the studio after a very long, very lovely winter break. Thank you guys for tuning in. And before we get started with today's episode, we want to give some shout outs to new Patreon members. Our Patreon uh, lets us do even more of what we love to do, which is talk about EMDR and share resources with you. It's a library of resources for you. So if you haven't checked out our Patreon, please do that at patreon.com. So shout outs to Laura Brodowski from Austin, Texas, Eliza Dragowski from Westfield, New Jersey, Emily C., not sure where you're from, but thank you, Michelle V. from Arizona, and Jessica B. from Concord, California. Thank you guys so much for your monthly support, um, and we love being able to create these resources for you. So uh, yeah, look into Patreon and partner with us in that way and get to hear your name on our podcast (laughs) as I try my best to pronounce everything correctly. Um, the other thing we wanted to let you guys know is that we are currently booking retreats for 2021. Um, as we're doing more trainings and things like that this year, we're trying to book out a little bit. So if either you or any of your clients are interested in a three to five day healing EMDR retreat um, here in beautiful Southwest Missouri, uh, go Ozarks. ahead and the Ozarks, <laughs> yes, the Ozark Mountains, they mm. are kind of mountainous. Yeah. Um, go ahead and uh, email us at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com to get more information. You can also go on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com and look at details about what those retreats include. They're lovely and wonderful and we love doing them. So Mm -hmm. go ahead and get on the calendar. Just on that note really quick, I wanna just say we have had a couple of therapists actually in the last few months send their clients for a retreat. And so just to those of you as therapists listening to this, it's a really amazing way if you're hitting a stuck point with a client or you're noticing there's too much to work on in just a regular 50-minute session once a week that we can't seem to make progress before they're struggling again. The retreat is a great way to like dive in, work on those things, and we work really closely to collaborate with you mm-hmm. on sending you all of the information of what we've worked on so that you can pick that work up as soon as they get back home. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a consultation on that or talk about that opportunity for your clients, give us um, shoot us an email and we'll schedule some time to chat with you about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so without further ado, we are doing a Q&A episode today, which is always fun. We thank you yes. guys so much for your questions. Figured it was a great way to get back from the holidays is just answering some of the questions we get through our Patreon. Um, so keep these in mind. Send us more as you get them. We love to do the Q&A. But we'll just get started with one question we had. Someone wrote in and said, I'm working with a client with ADHD symptoms and has anger issues. It has been difficult to pinpoint a target because things that have really bothered him outside of session is no longer bothersome by the time he sees me. The only thing that we could come up with as distressing is his inability to make decisions with a SUD score of 10. Is this mm-hmm. an appropriate target? And this is from Lisa Wesley. So mm-hmm. thank you, Lisa, for writing in. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give our best information on this client knowing just this little information. Yeah. But I already have some so many thoughts. initial mm-hmm. instincts coming up. So Bridger, yeah. what's coming up for you initially? Um, one, so the... The idea that uh, things aren't um, bothering him once he actually gets to Lisa, 
um, kind of just gives that flavor of a very charged nervous system that um, in a moment of reactivity will burst and that will then subside because the stimuli that provoked that outburst isn't there anymore. So by the time they get to therapy, it's just like, I don't, it's not really there anymore. Mm -hmm. But then the SUD score of 10 with the inability to make decisions kind of gives me in my psychodynamic orientation a window into his past with parenting experiences and uh, the way that things were prioritized, the way that um, his worth was installed Mm -hmm. and learned Mm -hmm. was based on his ability to uh, make the right decision. Mm -hmm. And that being, I'm I'm assuming, a razor-thin line, uh, Mm -hmm. very subjective, maybe changing like a moving target. Well, and even the possibility that there was messaging around emotion and big emotional reaction being the antithesis of good decision-making. Um, that's yeah. just one possibility that in family of origin, there might have been a lot of messaging around emotionalism and you have to control your emotions in order to make good decisions. I would wonder also if there was a double standard there. Oh, sure. The people that were saying you need to have control were then mm-hmm. out of control. Out of control. control. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There could have been a lot of messaging from schools as well. Because people oh, yeah. with an AD, ADHD or ADD presentation, uh, we always have to remember to ask about what happened in school. Yeah. How was that handled? Yeah, mm-hmm. I hear a shame cycle. Me oh, too. In definitely. This, where there's something that activates, and whether that's where the shame starts in, but a repression of that until anger or the, the anger kicks in. But then the, the shame piece of how I responded. And mm-hmm. so now I'm met with even more shame. Yeah. But that gets repressed more and tucked away because mm-hmm. it's too shameful to process and share and explore mm-hmm. that and what my original needs really were. And so it just continues to build and escalate. And that's where a lot of like when we, people use the quote unquote, you have anger issues, I have anger right. problems. Mm-hmm. Always translate statement. that into, oh, you have shame issues. Yes. 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 <laughs> and so your needs before it manifests as anger. Yeah your dysregulation, your needs to feel too shameful to be expressed, to be vulnerable and brought out. Mm -hmm. And then there's shame around the response. And so the cycle continues. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, there's that uh, likelihood of shame being mixed with resentment towards his needs not being met. Yes. Um, And so really looking at what are the early life experiences that had that particular flavor of shame, but resentment at the inability of the adults to help them help him regulate or help and figure this out yeah yeah I think EMDR can could be really effective for this person um, and just as another uh, kind of advertisement I guess we, we do uh, hour-long consultations at request as well so we're responding generally to this uh, question but with more specifics we could give more detailed mm-hmm. responses but um, Melissa to your point there's um, I think the shame aspect of this, especially in a culture where, um, you know, stereotypically men, especially high energy men mm-hmm. with ADHD mm-hmm. presentation and then anger symptoms, those are going to fall into a really um, dark kind of category, very limiting. Yeah. Um, and often there's addiction. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, any number of ways that that system would have learned to to regulate mm-hmm. in some capacity. Anger uh, is a movement-oriented emotion, mm-hmm. so it's going to move towards something and, and help get that outburst. But then that starts the shame cycle all the more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also there could be a lot of work done with this person in the way of helping him understand his emotions. You know, anger being the iceberg 
uh, emotion, <laughs> uh, you know, something that's hiding many other uh, instances of grief or pain or loss or fear or sadness, mm-hmm. um, some mixture of all of them, yeah. uh, those emotions needing to be voiced in the parts internally that are holding all of those wounds um, are choosing anger to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I think EMDR is going to be really effective. Yeah. Well, in a, a process of identifying targets with this client may not be as simple as let's list out what do you think are your potential targets for this yeah. because the shame is so, right. so right. big and deep that it it's hard to go to that place. And so it's going to be watching for targets through conversation and, mm-hmm. and other processing that you're identifying, ooh, this feels like a source of that. As far as targeting what you originally asked about of the SUD score and like him not being able to make the right choices, if that was a target, it can be. It's it's more of a top-down target. Mm-hmm. So that would be a way to regulate the shame around his response and bring right. that down enough yeah. to possibly find other targets, but right. that's definitely not the core root of I would also healing. be mindful yes. that this is a decision mm-hmm. itself right. uh, for that client. Right. So you kind of like toe dipping around making decisions for targets could be Mm -hmm. triggering Mm -hmm. for that client Mm -hmm. and the frustration could rise and you could think maybe I should just set EMDR side or this client and I are in a good match Mm -hmm. just because the way you're exploring potential targets is activating his shame cycle. Is this the right target? Yeah, exactly. Now we have triggered the entire symptomology. Yeah, (laughs) and so exploring that idea of even, you know, we want our targets to be collaboratively dis, uh, determined. And no such thing as the right target. Right. Well, one of the phrases it's that a I, target. Yeah, one of the phrases that I use with clients a lot is we're just looking for a door in. Mm-hmm. There's many doors in to this yeah. network. We just got to find one, one right. that'll do the job. And invariably, we do. And so I think using language to kind of take the pressure off of that decision is really yeah. important for this client. Um, for me, in a situation like this, if that was the presentation, if I was kind of detecting a, um, the, the contemplating the right decision, I would connect that somatically um, and see what that feels like to have the pressure of having to choose the right mm-hmm. answer mm-hmm. and that uh, anxiety or that anticipated shame or judgment. Um, let's track that and see where the targets go mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I just want to emphasize this point specifically to every therapist listening because I think we struggle with this in the therapist role of choosing the right and we Mm -hmm. feel like it is right and wrong. And from early training, there's tools and techniques learned of how do you find the right target to start. Mm -hmm. Um, But that also what you're saying is it's not right or wrong. It's Mm -hmm. a door in. And so any target could be the right one for that moment yeah. and for that time. That session. Mm-hmm. And that just gives us more information to look at where do we need to go, what other targets need to be processed and explored. And mm-hmm. when we can embody that open um, and confident approach with it, our clients will feel that. Bridgers, kind of you're talking about, they won't yeah. inter- internalize that anxiety of it has to be right. Right, mm-hmm. And the exactly. pressure around that. One yeah. just potential kind of starting point for this client that I think would be very therapeutic for him, but then also potentially get a lot of information about what's going on behind the scenes with this pattern for him is installing a mastery resource around decision making. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you unfamiliar with a mastery resource, we've talked about it on previous episodes um, when we talk about creative resourcing, but the basic idea is that you find a moment in his life where he has made a decision and you install that. And basically what you're attempting to do is um, create 
a really felt sense that he has the capability of making decisions. And here's the proof. Yes, and yeah. here's the proof. But even beyond that, you are developing and enhancing the part of his nervous system that is able to do that. So simultaneously, mm-hmm. you're building confidence, but also creating more skill and more regulation yeah. around the decision making. And I love the the two handed interweave yeah. at that point of mm-hmm. saying, you know, what's the what's it like to hold that mastery resource in one hand and then this feeling of fear and anticipation in the, and inability, in the other hand. Yeah, paralysis. Inability. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, you know, gridlock um, to hold those two feelings together and then just let the brain mm-hmm. do what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's also coming to my mind that um, I think a lot of uh, people struggle with is what to do when a stuck point does happen and you're feeling that a target isn't moving or isn't mm-hmm. shifting, mm-hmm. and what do you do in that mm-hmm. situation? So I think mm-hmm. we could cover that later. <laughs> but Well, that's a whole episode. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but okay. that is, I think, relevant. Yeah, I think well. some actually wrote in asking for that. So. Common stuck mm-hmm. places, which yeah. we looked at that and said, no, that's a whole, whole episode. episode. Yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> we so we're going to get to that question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it will have an hour or, well, maybe not an hour, but we could talk about it for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, next question. Okay. So next is, um, let's see here. One question I have is about EMDR with borderline personality disorder. Mm. And if you have any information on combining it with DBT. I am also wondering about EMDR with schizophrenia when the patient does not have extensive trauma history and whether hallucinations could be desensitized. So we're going to split this in two because mm-hmm. they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking the first piece with borderline personality, my I think DBT is phenomenal with mm-hmm. borderline personality and has so much to offer. And so the way I just shuffle it in and categorize it is into resourcing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great place for teaching skills, techniques, regulation, tools, um, and so using that skill set there as a way to resource at the beginning before starting processing, throughout processing, yes. intermittently, like shifting back and forth, all of that can be used and they can become phenomenal interweaves mm-hmm. when there is a stuck place or the client is unable to tap into anything adaptive um, naturally. We bring yeah. in something from that to help. Yeah. 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 Um, I think, you know, one of the beautiful things about DBT is the way that it sets up the relationship between the therapist and the client um, and really making that explicit the whole way through that relationship, that connection and that felt sense of what does it feel like to have me in this process with you in such a, a vulnerable and close way. That also is deep, deep attachment resourcing yeah. that we can then use as interweaves later on. Uh, and the experience, but DBT basically is enhancing, number one, attachment skills and beginning to give the skills of uh, repairing attachment rupture. It's also greatly expanding their window of tolerance, which all of that is part of preparation. Um, And if you have somebody with BPD, that means that there is a complex trauma history and Mm -hmm. a lot of attachment rupture. and Developmental trauma history. Mm -hmm. And so it does a great job of preparing them for the next phases. Yeah, I think my mind always goes to the conceptualization um, idea for both of these um, BPD or just PDs in general, as well as uh, schizophrenia, um, and really understanding what the internal uh, landscape is like in their mind as you're working with um, EMDR or DBT or whatever modality that you choose. You know, borderline is always looking for that 
testing mm-hmm. of, of uh, an attachment figure, a potential attachment figure, mm-hmm. um, a disgraced attachment figure, whatever it is, there's going to be that push-pull feel. Mm-hmm. And so you might have an experience where one uh, reprocessing session seems to be taking really well, and then you see regression mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And because of the triggering that happened when you left the session or something like mm-hmm. that, um, going behind their walls into a really intimate space with that individual could be triggering to them. Yes. And mm-hmm. so they'll come back to the next session and you're like, I feel like we just lost three months of our work. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what just happened? Or it's a love-hate relationship with that approach. Yeah. So it's like I, EMDR is wonderful and amazing and is doing all of this and then I hate EMDR. I don't want to yeah. do it. It's yes. hurting me. You know, it's like a similar push-pull yes. dynamic mm-hmm. and relationship that's really not about the therapist or the approach, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just that internal dysregulation of the client. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, and I think in that space, the DBT um, and attachment resources is going to be really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful pairing. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it works really naturally. And talking to therapists that that is kind of their two main modalities. Um, they're just kind of constantly flowing in and out of both of them. The other thing that you can do is when you're teaching them a DBT skill and they come back to session and they have a positive experience of utilizing it in the real world, you mm-hmm. bust out your BLS right there and you install, yeah. Um, the success and the felt sense of what did it feel like to be able to regulate in that situation where you've never been able to before? Or let's say they reach out in a really appropriate and healthy way to have an attachment moment with you as a therapist between mm-hmm. sessions, and they did that, and mm-hmm. they did it appropriately, mm-hmm. and they didn't get fixated on it, but were able to just receive care, get grounded in that moment, and then move on. They come in, and you reflect on it, and if it's positive, you install that. So that is a, a big part of how you blend the two when you're having successes with the DBT skills that they're integrating into their life. We're installing them as resources the following session. Yeah, I see that kind of the way I had first described it. It was EMDR being the primary modality mm-hmm. and the approach, and DBT being utilized as the supportive right. approach. And the way you just described it is we're moving. You know, DBT is the primary, right. and EMDR, and then is, EMDR supportive. is supporting it. Yeah. And either of those are right. There's no well, one's think, not better mm-hmm. than another, but it's yeah. where the client at and what are they responding to yeah what type of work are we trying to do right now are we looking at regulation or are we looking at trauma exactly yeah i think you know dbt is so uh profoundly effective at the regulation and preparation portion so emdr supports dbt in that sense but then once we have moved through that portion of the work then it's going to flip and dbt skills are now supporting the emdr reprocessing that's going to help them move through that trauma yeah Okay, let's talk about schizophrenia. I have so many thoughts. Yeah, okay. and especially yeah. I want to go back to the wording on this. Yeah. Um, I'm also wondering about EMDR with schizophrenia. When the patient does not have an extensive trauma history, right. um, that right there, my mind has a lot of questions, and whether hallucinations could be desensitized. Mm-hmm. So that itself I think is two kind of questions. Right. So there's something that I want to start with because – uh, it's really important for conceptualizing schizophrenia. So I actually started my career with a caseload entirely of men dealing with schizophrenia. And one of the things that gets apparent really quickly is the traumatization that we're used to talking about yes. is not the same for them. Mm-hmm. What is occurring is their system is overly sensitized and much more likely to respond to some of the normal adverse experiences that humans have because of the way their nervous system interprets them. Yes. The overconnectivity of their, their system means that they 
make meaning and assumptions and conclusions out of things that are um, much more detrimental mm-hmm. but detailed. Yeah, <laughs> it just goes a lot further. They go down the rabbit hole really, really fast. One example is uh, in an active schizophrenic, even a blank affect mm-hmm. on another could be interpreted as exactly. severe judgment exactly. attack. Even mm-hmm. so, there's an, one example. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that we have to factor in is that often for somebody with schizophrenia, the traumatization is coming from within. Yes. So their own nervous system and their own mind is terrifying to them. The traumatization is uh, what their hallucinations are, what the paranoia is. And so we're not always looking for what happened in the outside world. We're looking for what did it feel like inside you. That is where the trauma is. Hmm. Um, So it's a different way of conceptualizing targets. And that goes to her other question, the piece of the question of can you target a hallucination? Absolutely. Um, it is essential if you're going to treat schizophrenia with EMDR because the hallucination is as real to them as any other event. And with EMDR, we don't care about things being real. That does not matter to us at all. Yes. We only address it if it really matters to the client. Okay, for us to get fixated on that is to make it about us and our perception of things and not about what the client needs. So for somebody with schizophrenia, if their hallucination was real to them, whether they know that it wasn't real now or not because they're maybe medicated or they've healed some, if at the time their body, their nervous system experienced it as real, then we have to process it as if it was because their nervous system responded to it in that way. Yeah. For me, I also always kind of try to get a feel for what the therapist's belief about hallucinations mm-hmm. is and how they understand it. Mm-hmm. With this, it and it could just be me filling in blanks, but there's kind of a negative appraisal of hallucinations, that yeah, hallucinations are bad. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, whether or not that's there, um, I don't know, but just speaking to the idea that the patient or the client is generating hallucinations for a reason. Mm-hmm. And to honor that um, compulsion and that reality internally is very important to working with a condition like that. Why is the hallucination there? Why is... Um, you know, the why am I seeing things? Why am I hearing things? Right. Not so much concerned with good or bad. And when it's bad, we we desensitize or we reprocess. But what is that hallucination doing for the client? Mm-hmm. Um, and how did they experience the, the hallucination? Mm-hmm. Um, that being a really important point. I think when they take the time to ex- honor that and explore that and understand it, then it, the assessment is, is it unwanted? Exactly. It's not if it's bad exactly is it unwanted mm-hmm. yes so then that's when we step into the focus of desensitizing or reprocessing that so mm-hmm. that the client doesn't have to experience that any longer mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so we also want to point you guys to a few resources about emdr with uh, schizophrenia and psychosis so there is an article in the journal of behavioral therapy and experimental psychiatry called treating trauma and psychosis with emdr a pilot study the authors are David Vandenberg and Mark Vandergog. Um, and so that's a resource to look at. There's also a book which we wanted to share you guys, share with you guys. It's called EMDR Therapy for Schizophrenia and Other Psychoses by Paul William Miller. Um, so if this is a population that you guys work with quite a bit, um, please check those out because if if you're going to be doing EMDR with schizophrenia and psychotic presentation, you're going to need some extra training and resources mm-hmm. because there's a lot of adaptation needed in order to do this well. Our last Q&A episode, we had a question on it as well, so you may 
reference back to that is mm-hmm. a couple of months ago at least I think yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure it all feels time like has it. been strange it the has, last year <laughs> for sure <laughs> but that may have a little more information on it than what we shared today yeah our final question for today is uh, someone wrote in my main modality before learning EMDR has been emotionally focused therapy for couples and individuals which is more of a bottom-up perspective there are many places these modalities go together, but I'm finding EMDR is more from a belief-focused perspective, and EFT is more from an emotion up, emotion up and running. Anything that helps merge these modalities would be so helpful. So, are we ready? So, okay. Set. Everybody, go. take a breath. <laughs> yes. Need to exhale. Okay. So the reason why we're reacting the way that we are is because this is one of those questions that sort of lights us up in terms of uh, EMDR culture as and a advocacy. whole. Um, <laughs> so I want to say thank you for asking that yes. question because it is it gives, gives us, us a platform, platform to speak on it. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly thank you. right. Because it is um, where we're about to go with this is a very common misconception yeah. about EMDR. Yeah. Um, so I'd also like to reference for a much deeper dive into everything that we're going to talk about. Um, we did a episode called EMDR and the Triune Brain. Go there. Oh, uh, so it was a good episode. That was super fun. Um, but we're going to talk in that episode at great length about why we believe EMDR is a bottom-up approach and why EMDR should be a bottom-up approach. Amen. Yes. yes. So that is our bias. We're revealing our cards here. Um, But we also want to acknowledge that for a lot of people, the training experience and the way that EMDR was conceptualized in training was with a much more cognitive focus than Mm -hmm. we believe is necessary. Um, The cognitive focus of EMDR is as intense as the therapist wants to make it. So if you were trained by somebody or if you yourself had a very uh, cognitive orientation before you were introduced to EMDR, you naturally focus on that because that's where you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're a somatic therapist, like an EFT therapist or somebody with a similar modality, you don't have to focus on the cognition nearly as much. That is not the essential piece. That is not the active ingredient of the EMDR protocol at all. Mm. So that's the introduction. It what do you guys want? A piece. <laughs> yes. A small piece. Small piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So in with that kind of shifting that perspective of we do see EMDR as bottom up mm-hmm. um, in its most and what it has to offer in the best way it's bottom up. It can be utilized as top down. Mm-hmm. I've seen it yeah. and it, it can be effective to some degree in that way, mm-hmm. but for really really um, full transformative work healing yes Yes, it would be bottom up therefore it pairs beautifully with EFT yes Yes. and it can be so nicely done with your couples Mm -hmm. and your individuals Mm -hmm. not just your individuals but it's so beautiful with couples yes um, and the work that can happen there so that's actually an episode that I don't think we have done is EMDR with couples. With couples? Oh, we yeah. should do that. That would be it's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. I've got or parent-child really pairings, that. too. Yes. That oh. work is so fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we're all going to sit here and think about our yeah. lovely client <laughs> You're stories. Us great ideas. <laughs> so I don't, I, that doesn't answer very specifically about EFT, you know, and all the details of merging those, but if mm-hmm. you have already been practicing that for a period of time, knowing that EMDR can go right alongside that without yes. it being a conflict. Yeah, not, I, at all. not at all. Yeah. I could see, I guess, in especially coming from an EFT perspective, encountering EMDR uh, with all the factors that we've already discussed, wherein you know the, the trainer and the way they 
kind of discuss the active ingredients, as mm-hmm. it were, um, that it kind of gets categorized or put on the shelf as a cognitive-focused intervention. Um, but that is not rigid to EMDR as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so really kind of synthesizing that, that understanding, if it's from an EFT perspective, you know, EMDR is integrating yes. uh, the mind and body and their connection yeah. and letting that be the driving force of your reprocessing and desensitization yeah. and resourcing and every element that you're going to install. Um, it, it's not, okay, we're trying to decrease the suds and mm-hmm. increase the validity of cognition for right. the positive belief. Right. That's not the, <laughs> the thing that defines EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, in my practice, because I don't like the presupposition of belief or cognition, I'll give, you know, in kind of the educational aspect of EMDR before you really start exercising the, the mechanics, I'll go into talking about how beliefs are at the schematic level, so at the Mm -hmm. concept of self, um, really in the threshold between mind and body, Mm -hmm. not just the prefrontal cortex thinking brain that we think we have. The cognition is just the articulation of our somatics. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and if we we don't posture it that way, we'll get kind of caught chasing our tail. And doing whack-a-mole targeting. Oh, (laughs) whack-a-mole. Yes. So it's I also see disdain. the look on Bridger's face. <laughs> um, Sometimes he's a bit snotty about yes, it. <laughs> that's fine. That's who I am. I own that part of me. Um, that being uh, really something to me that takes away the power of EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that some people use it that way and they find success, but to me it just feels untapped uh, depth yeah. when we just focus on, on running around in the whack-a-mole arcade yeah well and I want to speak to you know if there's anybody that's thinking well dang it do I do whack-a-mole therapy how do I know if I do that so please don't panic um, because the the truth is is that as we're learning EMDR there's always that question of am I targeting the right thing so we're gonna circle all the way back around to what we talked about at the beginning there's no such thing as a right target you got to find your door in once you're in the network and you're gonna know that you're in the network because things are moving and shifting Body lights yes. up. yeah and once you're there once you're in the network then the focus goes from cognition which was just the door right one door that we can take in and now we're in the network where we're going to be working with the nervous system in a much more direct way and that's when we want to look much more at the somatics there is a resource um, for those of you that like to work more somatically, um, which, you know, that is our bent as well. Um, the author is Ariel Schwartz, mm. and her book is called EMDR and Somatic Psychology. It's a beautiful book um, with just rich discussion about this blend and a you know lovely presentation of how EMDR is a somatic uh, therapy yes. um, when done with that understanding. So if you want to explore that further, please get her book. It's uh, beautiful, and Ariel does uh, trainings and all kinds of things. So uh, look at her website and get that. I think you can definitely get it on Amazon. And so we recommend that as a deep dive mm-hmm. into EMDR and somatic work. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us today and sending in these questions. Please send more. We love to answer these, especially if you have a, a case, like a, a specific mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Yes. It gives us a chance to really lay out the way we conceptualize a yes. case. Those are really fun. So if you have something like that, send it in. Um, check out our Patreon. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of great additional content on there. So we look forward to our next episode with you all, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. 
We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time. Thank you.